Good morning, family. I'm Triforsa. I'll be doing Bible reading today. I'll be reading from Job 28, from verse 1 to 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limits the ore in the gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in the valley, away from where everywhere anyone lives, and they're forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air, far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, comes out of it bread, but underneath it, it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eyes has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes sees every precious thing. He dams up the stream so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of wisdom, of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighted as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of offer, in the precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, and nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. Not mention shall it be made of coral of or of crystals, the prize of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in the pure gold. From where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of the living and concealed from the beds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we, are, we have heard a rumor of it and with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the light of thunder, then he saw it and declared it, he established it and searched it out. And he said to men, Behold, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Raph, for serving us, and thank you, Trifosa, for reading. Why don't you just uh, bow your heads with me before we come to this passage, and let's ask for the Lord's help. Father, as always, um, it is not natural for us to receive your word. Uh, We are more inclined to resist or ignore or be distracted and so, as always, we, we plead to you for mercy. Uh, we, we come to you trusting in nothing uh, but the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, to open the way, to grant us access into your presence. And we pray that your spirit would be at work now. Amen. Uh, I think it's fair to say we've all heard of TED Talks. TED Talks, most of us, yes. Uh, TED stands for Technology, Entertainment and Design. Let me just read from their mission statement. TED is a global community welcoming people.
people from every discipline and culture who seek a deeper understanding of the world. We believe passionately in the power of ideas to change attitudes, lives, and ultimately the world. On TED.com, we're building a clearinghouse of free knowledge from the world's most inspired thinkers and a community of curious souls to engage with ideas and with each other. If that's their mission statement, I think they're doing pretty well. Who here has watched the TED Talk? So a little show of hands. Yeah, it's pretty unanimous. I think if you are looking for the conventional wisdom of the global urban community today, TED is the place to go. I scanned through uh, their top five talks of all time. So let me just give you a quick summary. Success in education via creativity. Success in presentation via body language. Success in leadership via inspiration. Success in relationships via vulnerability. Success in sex via who knows what. Fascinating. I mean, did you notice there's, there's really a common theme there? It's how-to. These talks are the how-to of success in education, presentation, leadership, and so on. The questions they don't answer are what or why. And because there are hundreds more talks where these came from, it's not exactly clear which of them I should pay attention to, which of them I should prioritize and why. Should I care more about success in my sex life or in the area of climate change? Is it obvious? I'm not going to ask you to publicly proclaim which one you would choose. But I'm not sure it is that obvious. If, I were, if you were to pick one and I were to ask you why, you may have an answer. But if I were to ask you why enough, eventually you would have no answer. The same with TED. I'm not sure there is a TED talk on why. At least I haven't seen one. For all their credentials, few of the TED talkers can match the thinking, the intellectual prowess of Stephen Hawking. You all uh, familiar with Stephen Hawking? Cambridge professor of theoretical physics, uh, world-renowned. And even he admitted, we just don't know why. So listen to what he writes. Even if there is only one possible unified theory, it is just a set of rules and equations. What is it that breathes fire into the equations and makes a universe for them to describe? The usual approach of science of constructing a mathematical model cannot answer the questions of why. Why there should be a universe for the model to describe? Why does the universe go to all the bother of existing? If we find an answer to that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason. For then, we would know the mind of God. It's an interesting turn of phrase at the end there, isn't it? Especially from someone who professes to be an atheist or at least an agnostic. But the thing we need to see is that human wisdom doesn't have an answer to the question why. And therefore, it can't give a compelling answer to the question what, as in, what should we be doing? What should we be caring about? What should our priorities be? 
but it can tell you how to do it. It can tell you how to be brilliant at doing something you have no good reason to do. That's conventional wisdom. Meanwhile, back in Job, a fierce argument has been raging for 25 chapters. It's been accusation and counter-accusation, mud flying in every direction. Job has been repeatedly asking the question, why, why, why? And the only answer he's been given so far is your sin. And then we get to chapter 28. This chapter comes after Job's last word to his friends and just before his first word to the Lord. And it seems to hang in the air a little bit. It doesn't seem to address any of the previous questions raised or respond to any of the accusations. It seems a little disconnected. It's as if everybody has been screaming and shouting and then out of nowhere there's a ceasefire. And chapter 28 is the sound of silence. It seems disconnected, but actually the message of this chapter is a clue to the message of the whole book. There are four sections. The search, verse 1 to 11. The treasure, verse 12. The maze, verse 12 to 22. And the guide, verse 23 to 28. The search, the treasure, the maze, and the guide. We start with the search. Job chapter 28 verse 1. Read along with me. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Here is something we understand more than most. We live in Igoli. It's a mining town. It's a gold rush town. Mining is a search we understand. It's in our blood. There are two things that the author of Job, I'm going to call him the poet, two things the poet wants us, uh, wants to highlight, wants us to see about this search that takes place underground. First, it is difficult, dangerous, and costly. Look at verse three. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limits of the ore in the gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. The miners are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. Verse 7, that path no bird of prey knows. And the falcon's eye has not seen it. Verse 9, man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots Mining is difficult and dangerous. It is costly. It is lonely. The rest of the world has forgotten that miners exist. Underground, they're almost in another world. There are miners underground right now. But we don't give them a second thought, do we? Underground, death is never far away. They hang precariously in the shaft. In a sense, they are already in the grave, buried but still alive. That's the picture the poet paints for us. Our own South African poets paint a very similar picture of the loneliness, the darkness, the danger of the mine. 
In Stimela, Huma Sekela writes this, Deep, deep down in the belly of the earth, they are digging and drilling that shiny, mighty, evasive stone. In Ezinkumponi, Benedict Villacazi writes this, Where have you ever seen a person buried alive? Raw and clang, thunder away powerfully mine machines. Roar from dawn till darkness falls. Roar quietly that I may get some sleep. Some sleep just to close my eyes. Mining is relentless, exhausting, dark, dangerous, lonely work. So why, since the beginning of time, have men been doing it or enslaving others to do it for them? Johannesburg needs to be explained. This city needs an explanation. What are we doing here? You know, 150 years ago, it was just rolling felt. I'm not talking about Midrand. I'm talking about wider Johannesburg. There was nothing here just 150 years ago. There isn't a major settlement anywhere else in the world this high without a major natural source of water to support it. So what are 8 million of us doing here? This is the second thing that the poet wants us to understand about the search. The search is for a great treasure. Verse 5. As for the earth... Out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up by, as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has the dust of gold. Verse 10, the miner cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. Mining is a difficult, costly search for a great treasure. Men will endure a dark, dangerous exploration of this unknown world. Why? For gold. There is a great prize motivating them. And the poet has been driving to this one point. He makes this one point. If we will endure the mines, the darkness, the loneliness, the exhaustion, the danger of the mines... For shining metal, what will we do for a real price? Verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? He asks the same question again in verse 20. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? The search for wisdom is a costly exploration of a mysterious, unknown world, but a search worth pursuing because there is a great treasure at the end, a treasure worth far more than silver or gold or sapphires. And that treasure is wisdom. That's the search and the treasure. Now we wander down into the maze. In verses 12 to 24, there's a very distinct pattern. Pattern goes like this. 12 to 14, we can't find wisdom. 15 to 19, we must have wisdom. 20 to 22, we can't find wisdom. We can't find wisdom, we must have wisdom, but we can't find wisdom. Pick it up in verse 12. But where 
shall wisdom be found. And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me, and the sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold and silver. Silver cannot be weighed as its price. And again, in verses 20 to 22, from where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard rumors of it with our ears. Mankind is in a kind of a frenzy. We don't know where to find wisdom. We don't know where to find an answer to the question why. We search every corner of our human existence and we just can't find an answer. We search the deepest Deepest depths of creation, no answer. The things we treasure and dig out of the ground, the things we normally search for, none of them can buy us an answer to the question, why? We interrogate death itself, but it won't confess. It'll only confess to a rumor. And yet we must have an answer. We must find wisdom because verse 16 It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Wisdom is priceless. As Hawkins said, it would be the greatest triumph of human reason, the greatest triumph. There is nothing more valuable than an answer to the question, why? So we're trapped in this maze. We can't find wisdom, but we must have wisdom, and yet we can't find wisdom. Locked forever in the search, no hope of success, but completely unable to give up searching. We're trapped in the tunnels underground. We have no hope of digging our way out. But if we stop digging, we die. What is man without an answer to the question why? No way out. No way out. Unless someone comes in to rescue us. Unless we have a guide. Verse 23, God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it, he established it and searched it out. Imagine you are trapped in the darkness and you are frantically trying to dig your way out. You've been clawing at the rock for who knows how long. And hope is something you lost in the darkness long ago. And then you hear footsteps. And then you see the first shadows of light. Someone 
has come to you. Someone who knows the way to the surface. It's the owner of the mine. He knows the way because he knows the mine. It's his mine. He knows every corner. This is God. He and he alone is our guide in the great search for wisdom. And so we follow him. And as we follow and follow and follow, twisting and turning, and sometimes totally disorientated because you're underground, and every tunnel seems to turn back on itself, every rock looks like every other rock, darkness comes in only a few shades. But then out of nowhere, you take a turn, and you look up, and you discover that great treasure in the most unexpected place. Verse 28. And he said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. The treasure turns out to be the guide himself. God is the wisdom we've been seeking. When I was growing up, my uh, father used to take me for a run. I use the word take loosely. Uh, so every morning before school, 5.45, a lot of fun in the winter, you can imagine. So off we go. But every morning it would be the same routine, the same drill. I would ask him for the route. Which way are we going today? And just about every morning the same thing. Listen, just relax and run. Which was so, inf- it was infuriating for me. Because I wanted route markers. I wanted a sense of how far are we going, where are the hills. Basically, I wanted to know just how much pain I was going to have to endure before this thing was over. And my goal was to run. It was for the fitness, perhaps a sense of achievement. My father was my guide. He showed me the way. You know, when I look back on it now, I see that actually he was the prize. He wasn't just showing me the way to the prize. He was the prize. I mean, what other boy gets half an hour, 40 minutes, dedicated time with his father just about every single day of his life? So it is with God. In the end, the pursuit of wisdom is not about him showing us where to find the answers and the earthly treasures. It is about going on the journey of this life with him. Our relationship with him is wisdom with a capital W. And from it flows wisdom with a small w for every aspect of everyday life. He is the ultimate why that informs the what and the how. He says it in his word over and over and over again. You will be my people and I will be your God. To know this, to know him, to treasure him above all else, this is the beginning of wisdom. And this is the message of Job. Remember right at the beginning, the Satan said, take it all away and Job will curse God to his face. In other words... Job wants God 
not for God, but for blessings. Then Job's counselors come and they bring pretty much the same message. They are more concerned with the road back to blessing than they are with the road back to God. So let me just uh, give you a few examples. Eliphaz. Remember the three friends? Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. If you have triplets, boys, there you go, ladies. Eliphaz said, God's discipline brings blessings. Right? So, so this is about God's discipline, Job, which is a means to his blessing. 5 verse 25. You shall know also that your offspring shall be many and your descendants as the grass of the earth you shall come to your grave in ripe old age like a sheaf gathered up in its season Bildad said things like 8 verse 6 if you are pure and upright surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore you to your rightful habitation and though your beginning remember those early chapters and the blessing that was associated with him although your beginning was small your latter days will be very great there's great blessing in store for you Job just be pure and upright. That's the road to blessing. Zophar said, if you will just accept that you've sinned and it is what it is, then, chapter 11, verse 8, you'll feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest and security. You'll lie down. There will be no one to make you afraid. Many will court your favor. The Satan, Job's friends, offer a God who is good for blessings. But the reason Job himself is in such anguish is that he wants God for God. And he fears that he's lost him. Job is a man who pursues God for God right from the very beginning. First verse of the first chapter, Job is a man who fears the Lord and shuns evil. The message of the whole book is that God is worthy in and of himself. He's not just our guide. He's our destination. God is the treasure. God is wisdom with a capital W. God is the answer to the question, why? Now, of course, we can see this more clearly than Job could because we can see the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We say God comes as a guide, and when Jesus arrives, that ceases to be a metaphor. He was the only man who ever truly feared the Lord and shunned evil. He was the only one who ever wanted God for God in perfect integrity. He was the wisdom of God in flesh and blood, and especially in blood. He was the only truly righteous sufferer I will be your God and you will be my people is only ever finally secure in the person of Jesus Christ Jesus not only showed us how to live with God he also made it possible by dealing with all of our folly and our sin and all of that is the answer to the question why why does the universe go to all the bother of existing? If we can find an answer to that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason, for then we would know the mind of God. We found the answer. 
we have the ultimate triumph. Or rather, the answer found us. And the ultimate triumph belongs to God. The Apostle Paul asked the same question. It's worth mentioning he beat Hawking to it by 2,000 years. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of God in the person of Christ. Why does the universe go to the bother of existing? Well, because God wants a people for himself. He wants a people who will enjoy his perfection forever. He wants to share all that he is and all that he has with us. And Jesus makes it possible. What would this poem have meant for Job? In chapter 3, Job asks the question, why? Six times. Six times in one chapter. Why? This poem in chapter 28 would have meant that answers to his existential why, the why of all his pain and suffering, are not found in seeking answers. They are found in seeking God. What does this poem mean for us? It means that the answer to our existential why is not found in seeking answers. It is found in seeking God. And God is found in Christ. In Christ, we have the answer to our why. We have wisdom with a capital W. And that means that in our suffering, we draw the same solace as Job from the presence of a God who knows what it is to suffer. Jesus is our destination. The more we realize this, the more he's a help to us on the journey. So the point we've been making is that he leads us into the deep mysteries of this life, the existential why. But he also leads us into wisdom with a small w, the kind of wisdom we need just to get through the week. So he leads us from the big existential why into the ordinary what and the mundane how. As we follow him, he sometimes pauses along the way, just takes us off the path to show us something, to show us the order that he stitched into creation. He stops to show us how each thing has its proper place and how each thing works and how each thing relates to every other thing. So let's just think back to the topics covered by the world's most popular TED Talks, right? Education, presentation, leadership, relationships, sex. Education. It's as we follow Jesus that we discover the why of education. Education is about taking children and then later on adults. It's lifelong learning. Taking children on the same journey. And as they discover more of creation and how creation is ordered, they learn to marvel and to wonder at their creator. And they learn to be better stewards of what he's made. 
That's what education is for. That's what success in education looks like. That's what this school is all about, incidentally. Presentation. With Jesus in view, success in how you present yourself is the wonderful gift of self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. Our body language is that of embrace and love for the other. So we're not puffing out our chests and putting our shoulders back and wearing our power suits to try and trick ourselves and everybody else into believing that we're worth it. No. God loves us. Jesus Christ proves it. We are worth it. And so we use our bodies to love others. There is enormous confidence in this. Only thing is, it's not self-confidence. See that? Leadership. Why do we care about leadership? Because when God made us, he made us to lead. How do we do it? How do we inspire others? Well, not ultimately with a flip chart or a whiteboard or a PowerPoint presentation. Not with a technique, but with a servant heart. Relationships. Why do we care about relationships? Because God is a relationship in himself. The Father loving the Son by the Spirit forever. And then he made humanity to be a relationship. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Humanity in its essence is a relationship. How do we succeed in relationships? Well, it's not by manipulating people with our forced vulnerability, as per the TED Talk. It's by loving them because God loved us first. What about sex? Why do we care? We care because it's a gift from God. We care because that beautiful self-giving and receiving intimacy is a picture of an infinitely higher beauty. The self-giving of God for us. You see what happens when Jesus becomes the destination. He also becomes our guide for the journey. We can enjoy and begin to understand everything else without worshipping it. Without making it the main thing. We can enjoy sex and in fact we can enjoy it even more because all the excess, all the perversion that comes from worshipping it is no longer there. Sex is in its proper place. It's a good gift from a good God who is the greatest treasure of all. So God is no longer a means to an end. God is no longer the way I access good sex, which happens to be the real goal. You know, if I can just pacify God, then I can have the sex the way I want it and keep my conscience clear. So my dealings with God are just a means to an end. No, it's the other way around. Sex is a means to an end. Sex reminds me of the goodness of a God who made sex and gave it to us. In all things, he is the goal. In all things, he is the goal. This is what C.S. Lewis meant when he said, I believe in Christianity 
as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. So we can watch the TED Talks, but with new eyes. We don't want to be like those that the Apostle Paul found in Athens who did nothing but, with all of their time, but explore the latest ideas. That's just idle intellectual vanity. We don't want to be like that. But we can recognize that all truth is God's truth and that there is order in the universe. And by his common grace, anyone can access that order. So we can listen humbly as those with something to learn. But we can also listen critically as those with something to share. Because we have the one answer that none of the experts have. An answer to the question, why? And that makes all the difference. Having Jesus as our prize means in this life we can search with humble confidence, knowing that we'll never have all the answers. We will never have all the answers. But we will always have him. Having Jesus as our destination makes the journey that much sweeter. If you don't have him, why not ask? Let's pray. Father, by your spirit, we have the mind of Christ. We have wisdom in the person of the Lord Jesus. Please help us to prize him above all else and to live out of that relationship in every one of the practical details of our everyday lives. Father, if there's anyone here who does not know you through your son, please will you come to them, find them, take them home, bring them back to yourself. Be the answer and the treasure they are searching for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.